Because faces kind of address some of these, I think, and give you kind of what we believe the answers are to these questions from our perspective, from our experience, and from Lighthouse Mission's perspective. So first of all, one question to start with, of course, is what is mission? What are missions? So to quote Dr. Oswald Smith, every Christian is a missionary. Okay, every single one of you, every single one of us is a missionary. Whether it's overseas, whether it's at home, whether it's within the country, whether it's within your family, whether it's within your work, you are a missionary. We are all missionaries. I, I think when you become a Christian, we'd all agree that our mission becomes to make disciples of others. Yeah, making disciples just means leading others to Christ and helping them start their walk with Christ and then they lead others to Christ as well. That's what, that's what missions is, really. We happen to be serving overseas, and we'll come on to why, why we feel that's important um, in a minute. So Lighthouse Mission's statement is this. We go into all the world, and as we go, we are making disciples of all people groups, proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and him as the only name under heaven by which mankind can be saved. Okay? And that going into all the world does not exclude Ely and England. I, don't, I want to make that really clear. We don't think we're special because we go overseas. We don't think it's more important to do overseas missions. It's so important what Lighthouse is doing at home. It's so important what each individual here is doing in your own place, in your own family. Yeah, who else is going to raise your children to be followers of Christ? Who else is going to raise your children to be disciples? Yeah, it's, it's, it's you. It's us. So... But to move on to overseas missions, we often get asked, why go rather than send money? Isn't it a waste of money to send Westerners, who generally cost more to keep there, when we could be supporting local people to reach their own? Quite simply, we go because Jesus tells us to go. Yeah? It's very clear in the Bible, in the Great Commission, in Mark 16:15, where Jesus told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. It was never meant to stop with them. It was never meant to stop with that group of disciples. It still applies to us today. And I think everyone would agree that we need to be telling others about Jesus and making disciples. But do you realize how rich we are here in the West? It's been so stark to us coming back this time. I think we've been, obviously Nat grew up in his country. Did it. (laughs) Um, And I served there for four years previously and we've been back there for two years now. And coming back this time, I've seen such a starkness of how rich we are in the West. And I don't mean necessarily in monetary terms, although we are. Um, But I mean the richness of the knowledge and resources we have as Christians. I think this this came as quite a shock to me. It may not to you, but did you know there have been more than 450 English versions of the Bible written? 450 in one language. Yet, according to the Bible Society, there are still around 4,400 languages that do not have one word of the Bible translated. 4,400. That means every person in this room, every one of you represents two or three different English versions of the Bible. But each one of you represents 29 languages that have not one word of the Bible in their language. I just think, let that sink in, that is massive. You know, we we have it so easy as Christians, really. And I think to understand the gospel, it's vital to have the Bible in your own language. Would you agree? If you want to grow in Christ, if you want to understand why we need Christ, 
you need the Bible in your language, in your mother tongue. That many of the unreached people groups are illiterate, so it doesn't mean the Bible necessarily needs to be in word form. It can be spoken, it can be passed through you know, from person to person, which is how a lot of the, the tribal people who certainly we know and work with would work. They wouldn't necessarily be able to read a Bible. We've seen and we work with people who are putting the Bible onto devices like solar-powered audio Bibles, which are brilliant. There's lots and lots going on, but still 4,400 languages with no word of the Bible. I, I think that's something that we need to be concerned about. And there is good work going on, but it's not something we can just sit back and say, oh, well, it will happen. You know, it's, it's our job as Christians. And with uh, our job as a rich country with the resources we have. Um, so an unreached people group, you'll hear us saying that. Unreached people groups are generally, in missions, they're understood to mean um, a group of people, a people group or a tribe, who either have no Christians or not enough Christians to be establishing a church or discipling others. So when I say unreached people groups, that's what I'm referring to. And in the world today, there are around 7 billion people, made up of 16,000 people groups, and 6,700 of these are still unreached. Doesn't sound too bad, does it? First glance. However, you realize that that 6,700 still unreached makes up 3 billion people. That's around 40% of the world's population who are still unreached, who have either never, ever heard the name of Jesus or who, within their, their people group, so few people have heard that they're unable to tell others. They're unable to establish a church that could reach out to others. So in the country we work with, which will be on there, but I'm not going to say it, there are 147 people groups. There's only a few million in the country, but there are 147 people groups. 91% of them are still unreached. Um, that's why we're there. That's why we go. Um, so that's, that's just a, a look at the world and how important the mission of the church is to reach into all the world and how important it is for us as Western Christians to reach out to all the world, to not just think about our own kind of our own small area, our own bubble, which, as I say, is important, but <clears throat> the truth is over 90% of the West's West effort in missions goes to home, home missions. And yet most of the people we are reaching out to are already reached. When you're thinking in a gospel term, of course there are needs that need to be met. Of course there are you know, people in need. There are many people who um, benefit from what we do as the church, the church, the big church in general. However, when it comes to missions efforts, a very, very, very small amount of our time, money and resources actually goes on reaching the unreached who still need to hear. So on top of what we have with Bibles and everything, we have Bible schools, we have Bible studies, we have teaching, we have preaching, we have deep times of corporate worship. You know, we have all these resources available to us which are usually free, often free. They certainly don't require us to risk our lives to attend. You're beginning to see how privileged we are in the Western church and it's a wonderful thing and it's something that you know has come through years and years of hard work and effort and you know people in the past have risked their lives for us to have this today. It's Remembrance Sunday. We think about the freedom we have, the religious freedom we have which has come through others' sacrifice for us. 
and we don't take it for granted. And yet, we get so bogged down by trivial things, don't we? We get so caught up with, you know, things that, are they really important? You know, we, we, we get concerned about, should we use hymn books, should we use a screen? You know, what's, what kind of music should we have? And I'm talking about the church in general. Please don't take this as criticism. <laughs> Whether we should kneel to pray, how high we should raise our hands in worship, you know, how holy we look if our hands are higher than others. You know, we often we complain about our leaders, our pastors, our missionaries. And of course, no one is perfect. But I would say, have you prayed for them recently? Have you prayed for your leaders, your pastors, your missionaries? Because you if you haven't prayed for them, I'd say you have no right to complain about them. I'm talking to myself as well. You know, let's not, com- let's not complain when we haven't prayed. They need our prayers. But really, all of these things are unimportant. They're a distraction to what really matters. We need to get back to what's important. Get back to what we're called to do. Get back to the basics. Our own relationships with God. You know, that's what it's about. It's about our relationships with God. Because your walk with God is not sustained by what you do for God. It's sustained by your relationship with him. I'll say that again. Your walk with God is not sustained by what you do for him, by your activity for God. It's sustained by your relationship with him. And if we're not feeding our relationships with God, then we're useless for him. Anyway, we owe it to Jesus. We owe it to the world to go. Why, why should we keep this to ourselves? Yeah, it's wonderful to be a Christian and enjoy our personal relationships with God, but we need to be making disciples of others. You know, Jesus didn't just enjoy his personal relationship with the Father, did he? He was always leading others to the Father. He was always saying to others, this is who my Father is. You know, come and be in relationship with the Father. He was constantly sharing the Father with us, leading others to himself and calling others to follow him. And it's our calling to call others to follow him. Yeah, that's what we're called to do. And this doesn't mean that we're better than the people we're reaching out to. And we really need to move away from this Western mindset, this traditional view that Western missionaries swoop in. You know, we save the day. We come in with our superior knowledge, resources and teachings. And we, you know, we save the day and we clock up numbers for our newsletters. We need to move away from that. It's not, it's not how it is. Yeah? Our aim at Lighthouse especially is to partner with local Christians and local missionaries. And we want to encourage, equip, and empower. That's what we want to do. And um, so many of the people we work with are just so hungry to learn more about God. They've got such a hunger to know about God better, to really, really delve into the Bible, those that have it to know more about God. And this is where we can use our rich teaching and resources to, to, be, to help them be effective in their own missions. Of course, we at Lighthouse and, and a lot of the missions movements across the world now, are our aim is to partner with locals and, of course, send them out to their own people, far more effective than us. They've got the language, they've got the stomach <laughs> for all the food, and they've got, you know... The ex- they've got what it, what it takes to reach their own people. They've got the relationship. Um, but, you know, we can come alongside them and we can bring the teaching that we have and the resources that we have to extend the kingdom through them. Interesting lo- interestingly, local people that we work with really, really want us to keep sending people. So to answer that question about why don't we just send money, why do we go, they want us to go. They want us to partner with them. They want us to spend our life with them, teaching them, training them, being an example to them, because they recognize how we can work together um, to become stronger with one aim, one vision, and one purpose, which is to see the lost saved. If you 
move to the next picture, please. So this is just a couple of examples of um, the things, some of the things we've done. So this first one here is um, a medical fellowship, which is where all the there are. It's very very difficult to be a Christian medic in the country we work in. As soon as you commit your life to God, you and it becomes public, your chances of promotion, your chances of a job, go right down. You're just not allowed to advance through the ranks. doesn't matter how good you are. doesn't matter how much experience you have. doesn't matter how brilliant you are. You will never advance simply because you're a Christian. So we have a... And it's really, really hard for especially the ones who work more remotely to keep strong in their faith. There's no one around them. They don't have churches in many of these places. They don't have people around them who can encourage them and teach them and train them and say, come on, keep going, you're doing well. And be that light in the field, in the medical field. It's... It's just not there for them. So we have a couple of meetings um, a year where people will come from all over the country, all the remote district areas, um, and we'll have a weekend together. In fact, it's happening this weekend. We'll have a weekend together, um, and this is a time of sharing um, and encouraging each other. And it's a very intense weekend of training and equipping and sending back out. Um, and there's only four of us who are Westerners there. There's about 25, 30 people and the rest are native people, which is brilliant because we, yes, we share, yes, we teach and we encourage, but actually it's, it's everyone bringing their own um, experiences and teaching to share with each other. And the other one, you'll recognize my mum there. So these are girls who we've spent the last year running a Bible study with. So we meet with them once a week. And for those of you who know my mum and you know her you know, you'll have heard her preach, you'll have heard her teach, and you'll know she has a lot to impart, a lot to share. Um, so what's really exciting is that these, these girls who have come often from a background of no, not knowing Christ at all, some of them have been trafficked, some of them have been abused, um, and they're coming into this place where they will be nurtured and loved, and we, we meet with them once a week, and mum especially just imparts her her teaching her knowledge she takes the bible and she opens it for them and really helps them learn how to study for themselves so that when they go back they know how to take the bible and they know how to glean from it um so that's just a couple of examples of ways that we have come alongside the local people who are you know really really risking far more than us to reach out so and those of you who have read our newsletters will know that it, to effectively reach people in many Asian nations, I can only speak for them, you must build relationship first. Yeah, this takes time. You can't just go in, run a big open-air conference and expect thousands of people to be saved and you know, start discipling others. It, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, it's got to be relationship. It's got to be that walking alongside someone and really sharing your life with them. They want to see your life and your example and how you live out your faith, which I'd say is true in a lot of places, England as well. You know, people are far more likely to listen to a message of Christ if they've seen Christ in you. Yeah, if they've seen you loving and giving of your time and your patience and your energy. Yeah. Next one that we hear is, why do you think you have a right to go and force your religion on people who are happy in their own religions or happy in their atheism? Now, we hear this quite a lot, interestingly. Why can't we just leave people happily as they are in their religion or their atheism? 
So that, in my opinion, is a very privileged point of view. Very, very privileged. It comes from people who are privileged enough to have been told about Jesus. And usually they know about many other religions and they've had the choice to believe or not and they've chosen not to. But the key thing is they've had the choice. And I don't think it comes from arrogance. I just, well, sometimes it does, but (laughs) not always. But it comes from a place of privilege, a place where we've experienced lots of teaching about religions and we say, you know what's not for me? Thanks, I don't want that. But in my experience, people, many, many people in other countries and religions are not happy. They don't have that peace and that happiness inside them. They're deeply unhappy and often living in great fear of punishment, death and evil spirits. It's, such a, it's so much more real for people living elsewhere often than it is for us. Tangible presence of evil spirits. And they are in utter terror, complete fear of them. In some tribes where we work, when you walk into the village, you pass the sacrifice pole. There's a pole, you walk into the village, there is still a sacrifice pole, and animals, usually buffalo, are still sacrificed as blood is required for their sins. Does this sound familiar? (laughs) Yeah? Blood is still required for them, or the lives of the villagers will be required. Their lives will be required by the spirits. And this is such a reality for them, and it sounds so, so literally foreign to us, doesn't it? You know, you think, what on earth? But these people have had family members and they've seen people die. They've seen people be physically injured by through spiritual activity, dark spiritual activity. And they are desperate to be free of it. Absolutely desperate to be free of it. There's no, there's no kind of you know, living in harmony with the, the evil spirits. There isn't. They live in fear of them. And they're desperate to not be in bondage to them any longer. The message of Jesus who shed his perfect, innocent blood to cover our sins once and for all time, is well understood by these people. And they are, in his power to forgive, heal, and deliver from fear, is more often than not welcomed with such enthusiasm. God is like, sorry, unlike any God they've ever encountered before. Yeah, the reality that they can have a personal relationship with the living creator of all who loves them and does not require constant offerings to appease his anger, it's incredible to them, and it should be to all of us, shouldn't it? You know, it should, we should never forget that, what, you know, what we have in Christ. It's, it's incredible. And it, it blows the minds of the people we speak to. And they ask us again and again and again, but, but what do I have to do, you know, what, every day? Because, you know, a lot of the people are, are Buddhists, and they will go to the temples regularly, daily, or every day they'll put their offering out every morning, and if they don't do that, then bad things, they expect bad things to happen to them. But there's a constant needing to um, offer or sacrifice for their, for their wrongdoings. So they just, you know, they really, really have to get it. You know, but, but what do I have to do? What do I have to give? What do I have to sacrifice? You know, how much rice is this God going to require? You know, how, much, how, much, um, how many of my animals do I have to give once a year, you know? for this God of yours. We're like, nothing. Your life. You know, he wants your life. He gave his life for yours. Um, So why should these people not have the choice? That's my question. Because it is a choice that we offer. You know, why should we feel that they, why should we feel we have the right to assume others are happy and deny them the chance to hear about Jesus and make that choice for themselves? Yeah? We don't force anyone to believe in Jesus. It's impossible. You can't force anyone to believe in anything because belief is a heart decision, isn't it? You can't, 
I mean, someone could say with their mouth, sure, 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 I believe it. But actually, true belief is in the heart. So we never force people to, to believe in Jesus. We certainly don't aim to convert people for statistics' sake or to claim we've persuaded someone to follow Jesus. We don't even want to see lives improved simply because someone has entered into a Christian circle. What we want more than anything is to see people know deep in their hearts the love of God, the healing, forgiving, saving power of Jesus, which brings such joy and freedom. I've sat with, it, with ladies who have come from remote mountain areas and they have wept and wept and wept as they've talked about their life before and after Christ. You know, their life, I won't go into graphic detail, but some of them have known such pain and torture and agony at the, at the hands of demonic forces. And when they come into relationship with Christ and they're completely free of that, the burden that comes off them. There's a difference. There's a change in their face. There's a change in their demeanor. They hold their heads higher. Their shoulders are straighter. They are not burdened and hunched over anymore because they understand the true freedom that Christ brings. We want to see people step from the darkness that so often overwhelms them yeah, into light. Nat grew up as a Buddhist, became a Christian in his early 20s. And I asked him, I said, do you think people in your country are happy in their religion? He said, absolutely not. He doesn't know people who are happy in his religion, in their religion. And I said, why? I asked why, and he said, it's simple. They don't have Jesus. And that's what it's about. That's the truth. We're all created for a relationship with Jesus, aren't we? And whether people realize it or not, they won't find true happiness until they come into relationship with Jesus. So it is, it is that simple. They're not happy because they don't have Christ deep inside. So another question, what drives you? And it has to come down to love. Love drives us. And Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You know, Jesus said, didn't he? Love God first and then love others. You know, that's what it's about. It's about loving God first and then it's about loving other people. But it's got to come from love. It's got to come from a place of loving God because he won't disappoint. People will always disappoint, won't they? You know, people are, we're human. People often disappoint us. People are wonderful and we need to see that in each other more and more. We need to see the good in each other. But God will never, ever disappoint us. So if we come from a place of loving God and serving God, we have to keep our eyes on him and his purposes. And that's what drives us. So then we get asked, what about the dangers for you and the people you're reaching out to? Despite the dangers, we are still called to go. Yeah, we read in Matthew 10 where Jesus is sending the 12 disciples out. He tells them to be as wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. So we have to use wisdom. We always have to seek his glory and not our own because pride often leads to mistakes, does it not? So we seek seek him first. But after saying this, Jesus goes on to say that the disciples will be arrested and persecuted. And this is the reality for all of us as Christians. That wasn't just to them. This is to all of us. We can't dumb down the gospel Yes, it's about love. Yes, it's about grace. Yes, it's about eternal life. Yes, it's about having our needs met. But Jesus told his disciples, I'm going to die. Will you die with me? This has been watered down over time to, oh, it's become my cross to bear. And we talk about situations and illnesses and people that are difficult. But actually, Jesus was saying, will you die for me? Are you passionate enough about me, about this message? about this gospel, to risk everything for me. 
do you love me more than anything else? That's what Jesus was saying. Do you really, really love me above everything else? Jesus asked this of Peter, didn't he, when he restored him after Peter had denied him three times. And he's asking us today, do you love me more than the most important thing in your life? Will you actually die for me? Because Jesus isn't just a nice religion. Jesus is everything. And some of the people we work with, they have risked everything to follow Jesus. For them, to follow Jesus means their family turning their back on them. It means being kicked out of their community. It means being arrested and put in prison. It means being beaten and starved. It means having their ID cards taken away from them so they can't get a job, they can't earn money, they can't escape from the country. But you know what? For them, it is worth it. They've counted the cost. This is such, so important. For them, Jesus is worth it. They've truly seen Jesus for who he is, and that is everything. I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine called Pa. <laughs> if you got him, there he is. It's a bad picture. He's got his squinting into the sun. Um, so he's my friend's father. This, was, this happened quite a few years ago. So he comes from quite a remote area in the north of the country. Um, he's been a pastor for many years. In his village, the church was allowed to be, it was allowed to bob along. As long as they didn't grow, as long as they didn't get past 20 people, they were allowed to grow. And sorry, they were allowed to be, allowed to be there. And, you know, he was passionate about Christ, but nothing ever really grew or took off. He suffered quite a lot of persecution. In those places, persecution comes in waves, and it's usually to keep the church small. It's usually to sift out the ones who are serious about their faith to the ones who, you know, just like some of the benefits. Anyway, one day, soldiers turned up in their village. The trucks rumbled in, the soldiers came, and they called all the village together. And they called the Christians out. They said, come and line up against this wall. And they said to them, said to the village, you villagers aren't receiving any funding from the government or from Western agencies because of these Christians. You're not getting electricity, you're not getting running water, you're not getting toilets, you're getting nothing because these Christians are preventing you from getting that. Of course, that wasn't true, but that was, this was the, the latest wave of persecution. And they said, so basically, the, um, it was one of the local leaders of the, the province had taken a real dislike to this man real dislike to this pastor. So they said to them, you have a choice right now. You either renounce your faith or you go in that truck to the dark prison. It's called the dark prison. And it, as the name suggests, it's not a very nice place. People rarely return from the dark prison. So at that point, probably one third of the Christians said, that's it, we're done. We don't, we're happy to renounce our faith. But Paul and a few others, they said, no. Nope. Nothing will make us renounce our faith in Christ. And they said, do you know what the dark prison is? Do you know what's going to happen to you there? And they said, yes, we know that Jesus is more important to us than anything you can do to us. So they said, fine, you're allowed one item. You can go back to your, your huts and you can take one item. And they said, we suggest blankets because it's absolutely freezing up in the north in the dark prison. So they went back to their huts but as they went they were beaten by the rest of their villagers he said who do you think you are holding holding aid back from us who do you think you are you know stopping us from getting all the things that we need so they were beaten and pushed along by the other villagers 
they all went to their huts and they all got their Bibles. Then they were bundled into these trucks and they were driven up to the dark prison and they were put in prison there. You can imagine what they did. Not saying it's easy. When he told me about it, it was he, he cried. It was a very, very difficult, awful time for them. You don't get fed in prison. So if people don't bring you food, you just starve. Thankfully, he had a few family members around there who did bring him food. It's very, very horrible, very difficult conditions. But they took their Bibles out every day and they just read their Bibles. And they had such joy. And the guards got really angry with them because they were so happy. They said, you're in the dark prison. You're probably going to die here. Why are you so happy? And they said, because I've got Jesus. So they sang, they read their Bibles, and they encouraged each other. Well, the guards got so angry, they confiscated their Bibles. They took them away. It didn't matter too much because being a mainly oral culture, they had memorized a lot of the Bibles. They were able to still sit and read, uh, recite the Bible to each other and sing songs to each other. The guards, out of boredom, started reading the Bibles. <laughs> you know where this is going. So they suddenly started asking lots of questions to Paul and his, um, his fellow prisoners. They became Christians, and they started to treat them very well. They started to bring them food. They started to... I mean, they couldn't release them from prison, but they treated them very well, and they, the prisoners started discipling the guards. Well, the provincial governor got so angry that so many people were becoming Christians that he ordered them released from prison and never to return there because they were so, he was so angry that so many people were getting saved through this. They were like, this wasn't supposed to happen. This was supposed to be the opposite. But that's the power of God, and that's the power of people who are willing, yeah, willing to just give their lives, truly give their lives for the gospel. Anyway, Paul and the other Christians re- returned to their village. They forgave the people who persecuted. They loved them. They showed them grace. And you know what? Many came to Christ through that. Many, many, many people, just because they were willing to say, in the face of true hardship, we're not going to give up. We won't renounce Jesus. Jesus to us is everything. He actually said, what have I got if I don't have Jesus? What can the world offer me if I don't have Jesus? You know, it, made, it made me think, do I really deny myself? You know, do I really? Do we really deny ourselves when it starts to feel uncomfortable? When God expects more of us, you know, how many of us would really turn our backs on our families to follow Jesus? Do we really put the fear of God before the fear of man? Do we truly believe and follow the Bible, or has the Bible just become another nice book of advice, a nice guide to help us in difficult times? Let's not be lukewarm Christians. And again, I'm talking to myself. Let's not be lukewarm. Jesus had something to say about that in Revelation, didn't he? About the lukewarm church. You know, let's not, let's not go down that road. Let's be all for God, all out for God. I'm not even saying one or the other. I'm saying let's be all out for God. Don't be cold. <laughs> be hot. Be hot for God. Let's be like Paul who trusted in the face of death and saw God glorified. So I would say whether you go overseas or not, you know, would you dare to let God use you? Would you allow God to be glorified in your life and through you? Yeah, for others to see him and to truly know his freedom in their lives. Feel free to talk to us afterwards. If you've got any questions, if you want to ask any more, you're very welcome to talk to us and we can tell you more. But thank you for listening.